Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Wonderful. If I can offer one final thought for our, our grads, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, um, Tim Keller out of uh, New York City, he, he passed, and for many people he held a, a significant place in their theological walk and, uh, as a pastor, and there was just one quote for him that, I'll, that I always kind of go back to, and I felt like it was appropriate for our graduates today. It says, if you're falling off a cliff... Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Salvation is not finally based on the strength of your faith, but on the object of your faith. So my hope for you is in this next season is that you might experience the, the fullness of finding the source. And that might be the space where you place your faith. Well, I realized I didn't introduce myself. My name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Collective. And we say this every week. If you're Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not sure about Jesus, this is a safe place for you to be. At least I hope so. Uh, we are in the journey through the book of Acts. And we've been spending time talking about the Holy Spirit and the purpose and the person of the Holy Spirit in our walk as followers of Jesus. We spent extensive time asking questions of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does and what's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And after uh, spending time in the first six chapters, we find ourselves out of the Jerusalem section of the book of Acts and into the expansion of the church where it moves from this Judaic-centric movement out of Jerusalem into a global, ethnic, ethnically diverse movement of of Jesus' followers, we see the miraculous take place in moment after moment, where the disciples, they go and they're, they're faithful to the call that's set before them, but in the same breath, they also see signs and wonders do the work. And then here in Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 21, and you can follow along on the screen. It says, now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip a disciple in the city, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When Peter and John arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not come, yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. 
When reading this text, I find that my attention is quickly drawn to the first bit where he's talking about this magic that Simon is doing and the, the, the title that they gave him, the, the great man of God or the great power of God. And I think we can get lost in the midst of even just that initial bit to not see what's taking place later on. Because the call that Peter and John is not, you've you got to stop doing magic or the magic you've done has caused irreparable damage. It's a call that your heart is not right. It's your heart that has continued to be lost. And even in our modern day, when we think about the movement of the Spirit within our communities, I think we have, if you've spent time within Christian circles, we have seen to some degree the abuse and the manipulation of gifts of the Spirit. Someone who has caused the amazing to take place, perhaps, been called the great power of God, just maybe in a different sense, in a different tone, in a different language, but with the same root issue. Their heart was not right with God. For myself, when I hear about the gifts of the Spirit, I can grow hesitant because I've seen this firsthand in, in my own church experiences. I've seen it from a distance, from people that I've followed and I have found it lacking. And I've almost run too far away from it. But when we read the biblical story, we see that the gift of the Spirit is meant to produce a good gift within us. That's not meant to, meant, meant to lay latent or separate or, or just as a nice idea. It's meant to be active and moving and a powerful force within our very being. Last week we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. What does it look like? Well, it looks like the life of Jesus. What's the purpose of it? To be a redemptive presence in the world. And what can I do to receive it? Well, it's a simple ask. And then we begin to receive. And we begin to walk out that story. So after five weeks of, of groundwork, uh, I think we're going to take a little bit of a leap this morning. And if you haven't been around, there's a podcast that you can catch up on. But we're finally going into spiritual gifts or what the New Testament writer Paul calls spirituals. Now, the language of spiritual gifts, it comes with these different sets of associations within Christian language. Well, God met me in that moment, or God spoke to me, or I feel like I, I have this, this need I have to share with you. And if we frame it like that, I feel like we're often more comfortable with it, right? Oh, like, uh, of course, like you can share with me something that's deep upon your heart. We're, we're not so quick to push it away. But when we hear about this, maybe a, a prophetic word or an act of healing, these more dramatic, power-led spiritual gifts, we can be really hesitant with interacting with it. We, we want to be spiritual but still pragmatic. Or maybe we've had this negative experience and it's kind of clouded the way in which we want to interact with it. But what Jesus leaves us in the Holy Spirit it's part of what he teaches us in his life and in his ministry. That the intimate presence of God wants to work through your life. Wants to work through my life. And that is a life that is participating in the kingdom of God. 
We get a picture of the world that Jesus desires in the Sermon on the Mount and through his, his works and his teachings. We see the picture that Jesus presents before us and we find ourselves lacking to even think about the idea of forgiving those who might harm us. And he understands this. He sees this. And we've talked about he gives us the spirit to empower us in this lifestyle that's beyond our personal ability. And that's not simply a nice idea, but there's gifts and there's ways in which that takes place. And we need to embrace that. We, we need to grab hold of that. It's easier said than done. But it's part of our call as followers. In our text today, it tells the story of Simon the sorcerer. And much of what he was doing, I bet you people would have considered a, a spiritual gift of some sort. People called him the great power of God. People then came across Philip and Simon himself ends up following Philip. And there's this, this pursuit of a spiritual high that's evident throughout this story. That they're jumping from spot to spot pursuing a spiritual high through the person of Simon. And I, and I have no doubt that many experience a genuine conversion experience under the teaching of Philip. But I also wondered how many of them were also struggling like Simon. That they were following the signs and yet their heart had not experienced the transformation that it needed. He's rebuked for the heart that he had in pursuit of the gift that was offered. And the place of our heart before God is vital in any conversation when it comes to the gifts. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 doesn't simply call it spiritual gifts, he calls it spirituals. If there's one text that really leads us down this conversation of, of spiritual gifts, it is what Paul writes to the Corinth church. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians 14 and we're going to just read the first five verses. It says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Paul writes that we are to be eagerly desiring spiritual gifts, specifically prophecy. And this idea of eagerly desiring, it's more maybe accurately translated as like this jealously pursuing, this, this covetly, coveting this idea of gifts that is given to us. If you look in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about gifts. And in chapters 13 and 14, he, it's a different empowerment of the Spirit. He focuses in on specific gifts. And in Romans 12, he talks about gifts. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, there's a conversation about gifts. Gifts are presented in lists. And, and, I, and I say all this because I think we can be quick to reduce the gifts of the Spirit to a single one that we're comfortable with. But I think the expansive nature in which the gifts are presented to us within the text is that Paul mentions different gifts that are relevant to the different audiences that he's addressing. And he has this big concept of spiritual potential within people that the Spirit can influence and build up and activate within the local church. 
I'm not saying to, to be completely negligent or trivial with it. But I think that should lead us to this, this place where we don't just le- lean into specifically four lists to think about the ways in which the Spirit can be working. We shouldn't see demons around every corner and everything shouldn't be over-spiritualized. But we need to have an increased awareness and invitation for how the Spirit might be doing something new and meaningful within our church family and within your story. There is more than what we can see. Often, our treatment of the idea of the spiritual gifts is extremely insular and hierarchical. We, we make it about the gift instead of the giver. And I want, I want to dispel these notions before we dive into what it is. The gifts that God gives us are not so that we become a celebrity, a superstar, a celebrity pastor, whatever it is. The gifts that God gives us are to glorify the giver. It's to build his church. It's to see the kingdom of God at work in our world. It's to love others. Do we hear the words of Paul at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 14? Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Especially prophecy. Paul is inspired by the Spirit to speak of prophecy being part of not just one follower's story, but all of our stories. I remember when I first came across this idea, I was extremely hesitant to the even possibility of it. That every single person in this room, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have made that commitment of trust in your heart by the power of the Spirit, prophecy is an avenue by which you can operate. And immediately there's like a hesitancy that we might feel as followers of Jesus or wherever you might find. Maybe it's your faith tradition background. Maybe it's your personality type. Maybe it's just you've never even thought about it. But the idea of prophecy being part of your skill set or your ability because of the way that the Spirit is working in your life feels well beyond any possibility that you've ever considered. But what Paul is saying is that we are to eagerly desire the gifts, especially prophecy. And and he talks about this idea of prophecy being available for all who place their trust in Jesus. It's interesting. We're going to talk through four, uh, four different ideas about what prophecy is. And number one, prophecy is for everyone. Even our language around it can make it feel very separate. The phrase spiritual gifts doesn't occur in the Bible in the original text. It occurs in the English translation, but it doesn't occur in the text that the apostles were the ones actually writing. Here's where this phrase comes from. It comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 12. And in the New American Standard, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be unaware. But the word gifts there in the New American Standard is specifically put in italics. Because this is a way of cluing us in so that the word doesn't actually represent something that was in the original language. We're just saying it to help it make a sensible translation. Literally what Paul is saying in that moment, he's saying spirituals or spiritual things. In other words, what he's saying is what is now concerning that the spirit does, concerning the activities and manifestations of the spirit And I don't want you to be ignorant of that. That's what Paul is saying in that moment. 
Paul views these spirituals as these things being activated and empowered by the Spirit. And he actually doesn't himself ever use this phrase spiritual gifts. And the reason why this is important, the reason why I'm talking about this, the reason why this matters is that when it comes to spiritual gifts, we can get this conception that your spiritual gift is your spiritual Christian superpower. And our understanding of superpowers is hierarchical. It's I'm better than, I'm more than, I've, I, I have to have this separate kind of status to my being. But this isn't what's pre presented to us. Gifts are not meant to create separation. The gifts of the Spirit are actually meant to create unity. It's meant to draw people together. Not around the gift, but around the giver. We need to realize here that prophecy is open to all followers of Jesus. Now, there is a gift of prophecy that is different and that's talked about in Romans 12. And this is specifically the activation of, of the different gifts within the church that we say, see take place. And I think we can even see people who don't follow Jesus, who have this, this prophetic gift and ability within them and you hear them talk and there's charisma and there's impact and there's force in in their very being but it's not led by the spirit it's not producing the life within them that the spirit would do so but in first corinthians 14 it's about the kind of prophecy that is open to everyone and this has been the story of the old testament the old testament has laid out over and over again that when the spirit comes it would be prophecy that is available to all people joel 2:28 in the last days god says i will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions your old men will dream dreams even on my of my servants and a few hundred years later, Jeremiah would build on this and he would speak of the new covenant in which the Torah would be on the minds of the people and it would be written upon their hearts. It would be something that would be in the very being of those who had committed to following. This was spoken of long ago. This isn't just Paul saying all of a sudden, okay, now everybody prophesy. This is the design that God has set before humanity. He said that I want you to prophesy. And the challenge that we often face is, what does that even mean? What does it mean to prophesy? The assumptions of the prophetic are often that I am going to be able to outline what is going to happen to you tomorrow when you go to work. You're going to cross this street, and this is what's going to be taking place. There's going to be a rosebud on your right-hand side. It's going to mean that the light's going to turn red. The light's going to turn red. And now the car in front of you, they're going to stop. It's going to be amazing. This is, this, is, this is sometimes how we just like, we fabricate the prophetic in our minds. It's something that has to be in the days to come. This is not prophecy as Paul is talking about. A definition can be that prophecy is the moment where the Spirit is using your mind, saturated in Scripture and presence, to say a specific word of encouragement or challenge to the whole community, to a specific person, but you do it in your own language. It's specifically, it's not in a, in a heavenly language. It's not in the language of tongues that we ta saw Paul talking about, but in a real language to real people. The point is, that you are speaking encouragement in that moment. There's a couple different quotes that I want to read for you. Wayne Grudem writes, 
that prophecy is speaking what God spontaneously brings to mind. Ben Witherington writes, prophecy is not a sermon by 21st century standards. It was a spontaneous utterance prompted by the Spirit and based on a sudden meaning in the moment, a, a revelation from God. Meaning it's not made up in your head or in your imagination. And then Greg Haslam has, has the best uh, explanation that I wanted us to pay attention to. Prophecy is a phenomenon that results directly from the access to the Holy Spirit has to our minds whereby he can create pictures in our imagination and supernatural dreams while we're asleep. He can put words, ideas, or scriptures into our heads with such force that we know that there is something that carries with it the responsibility to pass on and relay what the Holy Spirit has communicated. Often when we think about how is God speaking to us, we are really reductionistic in our approach to this. We think, well, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush and he heard a voice and I can expect exactly that. There are moments in our stories perhaps where we hear the audible voice of God. But many times in our modern day and within the New Testament, it's not the audible voice of God that we're looking for, but it is impressions and prompts and pictures and words that are given to our spirits by the Spirit. Uh, it could be maybe a scripture. You've been, you've been engrossed in the text and you recognize that the scripture keeps drawing you back over and over again. And then when you're in relationship with someone or you're around someone and you feel a prompting of the spirit to share that scripture that it might be edifying. Maybe it's a word that you hear. You hear this word of, of hope and you hear this word that you need to share with them. Or maybe it's a word like stop or a word like love. But it's something that is meaningful within you that you're saying it in such a way to encourage, to comfort, and to strengthen the other in whom you are trying to present this to. This is important in how we communicate. It's one thing to recognize that we all operate in this prophetic idea, this prophecy that Paul is talking about. It's another thing to use it in the way that it's meant to be used. Here's the reality that we see in the church of Corinth. Paul is writing to a community that is operating within the gifts and they are abusing them. He, he's recognizing that these gifts are actually, the, the, the spirituals are present because God has given them. But they have been used in such a way that they need a check and balance. They need to have a way of understanding that we are providing them in the way of love. Maybe it's a phrase. Maybe it's a picture. I don't know if you've had moments like this. But it doesn't even simply require that you have all your ducks in a row for prophecy to come out of you. You've had a conversation with someone. And it's been a heavy one or it's been a meaningful one. And then as you're spending time together, a picture comes to your mind. And you know that it maybe it's something that can encourage them. This is how the Holy Spirit wants to speak in and through his people. So prophecy is for everyone. The second idea is that prophecy is a strength, strengthening comfort. Sometimes it can be hard to distinguish between that which is from God and that which is from the enemy. But this idea of what we're saying and why we're saying it really does provide that clear distinction for us. Because you'll notice that when we have a word that is from God, it is one to edify and encourage. It's a strengthening comfort. And the exact opposite of that is the enemy's voice in our heads. The enemy's voice isn't strengthening. 
It's guilt and shame. It's horrible. God's angry with you. You have no self-worth. Nobody loves you. Your parents don't love you. Your church doesn't love you. God doesn't love you. You're a disappointment. This is the pathway that that line of thinking always goes down and it runs in the opposite direction. If you feel like you are have receiving a quote-unquote prophetic word from someone and it is not producing a strengthening comfort within your very being, that is a great check to hold in place of is it God speaking or trying to communicate to you. Paul writes that prophecy builds up others and yourself. And it's meant to actually provide the comfort that you need. Now, this isn't to say that prophecy is always like rose-colored glasses and rainbows and butterflies. Prophecy can be a rebuke, but in love. If you love someone, it can be a statement that's actually meant for their, for their flourishing, but it's not for the purposes of your own self-edification. It's not for the purpose of you feeling good or for you actually saying something because you think it's the right way of doing it, but it's out of a place. I want you to experience the fullness of life, that there is the love that's driving it. Love sits at the center of it and moves it forward and is the leading force behind it. I think we've all received a moment like that where maybe it stings a little bit on the first touch, but then it sits with us and it is that strengthening comfort that we need. Where I was missing the mark and I heard from friends that it wasn't going the way it should and it was the word that I needed. The third idea is prophecy is rarely about the future. We talked about this briefly, but it's less about prediction and it's more about preparation. Not so much that this is going to happen on this day or this hour or this spot. But it's more like here's what you need to do in the present in light of a possible future that God wants with you. Paul begins the chapter by saying, listen eagerly, desire prophecy. And he ends the chapter by saying, be eager to prophesy. He's saying, don't get weird. (laughs) Don't get crazy. Have it all in control, but here's how you do it. And he gives checks and balances. He talks about making sure we do it in community, that there's others who might hear and might validate it. That we have the scripture be part of the core of it and how we communicate to one another. And we hold that distinction of we're following the way of love. And the words that we're providing, they strengthen, they comfort, and they're full of humility at the core of it. It's important to note. It's, it's, it's not a science. It's, it's an art in many ways. It's going gonna, it's gonna to feel different and sound different for, for those in the room. Because you and I are made distinctly different in the image of God. But the core of love leading the way remains the same for each of us. So how do we do this? I want to provide a little bit of nuts and bolts of the different things that we could maybe be doing to step into this invitation of what it is to prophesy. And the first thing is to just create space and listen. I have this conversation on a weekly basis with people in our church and those who are not, that there's a hunger to hear the voice of God. And I love to hear that. And what I've said and I've recognized for myself is that the voice of God 
He's not absent in our stories. In fact, I believe that God is always speaking to us. But our lives have become so busy and so noisy that we do not have the ability to listen. We have not created space of silence and softness of our hearts to listen to the ways in which God wants to speak into our stories. Even within a conversation, what are we so guilty of? That as the person in front of us is talking, we are already crafting our response. We're not listening. The first thing that we can do is to create space and listen. Quiet your heart, quiet your mind, and then we learn to listen. And we should be listening all day long as you ride your bike, as you're in your workplace, as you're driving down the street, as you're eating your your lunch. We should be having space in our hearts to listen. Because when we have space in our hearts to listen, we can then ask the question, what's coming to mind? Is it, is it a phrase? Is it a picture? Is it, is it a word that's been given to us? What is something that's coming to our mind that might actually be for our, our neighbor or for our friend or for our coworker or for the person that's walking down the street with their head down that might need the word that God has placed upon your heart? And the third thing is this idea of interpretation and application. We need to put it towards Scripture. We need to put it towards others in our stories. And even as we share it, Do not use language of God is saying to you. It is not helpful, nor is it fair to the person in whom you are sharing the thought. Instead, you can share the thought of, I've I've been thinking and I had had this idea that I would like to share with you. Is that okay? Or I had this word that as I was praying, I felt like I should share with you. You're trying to create healthy manners of communication so that the person you're communicating to might receive the goodness that God wants them to receive. The ways in which we need to communicate this are with humility and with courage and with love because prophecy follows the way of love. And in love, uh, prophecy is never angry or prideful or in a condescending tone. It never says that I'm better or because I know about your sin or whatever God said. Even if it is in rebuke, it's always in love. The person should always walk away saying that was strengthening, that was encouraging, that was comforting. And there's this sense that Paul found a lot of value in these when he says the greater gifts. For Paul, the greatest thing is love. To act in love. And he says, seek the greater gifts, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spirituals. But essentially that you could prophesy because prophesying is a way for God to work through your saturated mind in scripture and in his presence to encourage others in a way that they might understand. Some of the most significant moments of my life have been someone with boldness and curiosity sharing what God has had for for me in that moment. 
just, just a word, just a phrase, just a picture. And they've offered in, in such a way that I could talk about it with others. I could put up against the text. I could spend a moment and actually consider, is this what God has for me? This isn't meant to be this idea of exactly this is what life should look like in the days to come. But it is God meeting us in these moments. Why, do, why would this gift exist? Why would this be present within his followers? Because God so desperately wants to be in intimate relationship with each and every one of us. He wants to be in relationship with you and he wants to be in relationship with the person beside you. And what better way to do that than to bring those people together in the encouragement and the comfort of his presence in a way that is beyond the surface. Speaking in a way that we need in the moment that we need. Love is not selfish. Love is not cruel. Love is, love is kind. Love is generous. And those are the distinctives. All the distinctives that you know of love should be the distinctives of your language of encouragement and prophecy that you are beginning to lean into. City Collective, we are so good in so many of the pieces of our church, of community and of our generosity. Of, of spending time in, in scripture and, and having meaningful, open, intellectually honest conversations. But we have so much more that we have not stepped into when it comes to the way of the Spirit. Because we have considered it to be something that is not pragmatic. Not well thought out. It's a little bit too off the cuff. Puts me out of control. I fall into this category. But what would it look like if we were to create space each and every day, especially when we're together here on Sunday mornings, to listen, to think what comes to our mind, and then to share the words that, might, that God might be having for each of us with one another. What would happen to your church experience? How would that shift maybe sitting in a seat and listening to moving from a place of receiving from God and sharing? Suddenly the church that Jesus is building is less about the words that we hear from one person and more about the words that we hear from God. If you have ever felt a sense of frustration about consumer Christianity and about just coming and hearing and leaving... The invitation that Paul provides in this text is that that is not actually the way that we are designed as his followers. You have a voice. You have the Ruha of God on the very inside of you. The Spirit living within you. And not just for the sake of the Spirit being there, but so that the gift of God, that the words of God, that the pictures of God might come alive in your very being so that you can encourage and build up His church and His people. If you feel like something is lacking, listen to the Spirit and hear the way in which He wants you to be part of the solution. If you desire something beyond what you're experiencing, listen to the way that God is speaking and Step into that. There is more for us as a church, there's more for you as a follower of Jesus than simply listening on a Sunday morning. God is speaking, wants to speak, 
into you and through you to change the world into his image and to build the kingdom that he has designed for this world. This is our invitation. And perhaps it simply starts with have you created space to listen? You would think on a, on a Sunday where we're talking about prophecy that it would conclude with, well, go talk to someone. <laughs> go tell someone. Go tell someone something. I think that is the exact opposite thing we should be doing right now. I don't think we're there yet. I think we need to calm our minds. We need to still our spirits. We need to turn off our phones. We need to put away our, our distractions. And we need to just say, God, speak. In the chaos of our secular society, we do not know how to be silent. And then we're frustrated that God does not speak. If there's one thing that you can remember, well, what prophecy is? Prophecy follows the way of love and starts, with the, with, starts by listening. And is that not love? To be in relationship with someone and to listen to them as they speak. I wonder if you could try and do this with me. If you, you can close your eyes when you do this. We're going to just try a quick little practice here. Uh, I've, I've found this to be meaningful in my own life and I hope it's meaningful to you. Uh, I want you to bring to the forefront of your mind a, a phrase of gratitude. It can be a simple phrase. Thank you, God, for my family. Thank you, God, for my friends. Just one phrase. Just one phrase. Once you've identified it, I want you just to say that phrase over and over and over in your head. And I just want you to focus on that, praise, on that phrase. Psalm 100 says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We want to focus our mind on our place of gratitude. I want you to put that right there. I want you to say it over and over. And I want you to focus on it. And we're just going to do that together as a church in silence. Now, Spirit of God, with our minds focused on the thankfulness of our hearts, speak to us where we're at. Maybe there's a word, maybe there's a picture, maybe there's a phrase that God's given you, maybe it's just to encourage you. Maybe just to give you peace. May we be a people that listen, that make space to listen. Would you stand to your feet with me? So this is, this is what I would ask. Uh, first of all, silence is hard. <laughs> I feel that. If you felt uncomfortable in that, that's okay. That's, I, I, I feel the, the length of silence is always so difficult. And that was a minute and a half, two minutes. If you had anything on your heart, 
a word, a phrase, a picture. Maybe you had the audible voice of God provide the comfort that you needed. I would invite you, tell one person, a friend, a spouse. You can come chat with me and let me know after. Humble, courageous, and full of love. That strengthens, that encourages, and comforts. Let that be what you hear. Let that be what you share. May you be full of his spirit. Even as we sing, I would invite you to continue to listen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.